to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again. Today, I have a very special guest, my naturopathic doctor and friend, Dr. Gabriel Francis. She is the founder and owner of The Urban Alchemist. She's a naturopathic doctor, a chiropractor, uh, practices oriental medicine, and is the author of the book, The Rockstar Remedy. Welcome, Dr. G. Hi, Rhea. How are you? I'm really, really well. So, Dr. G, you and I have known each other for a long time. I first came to you because I was super stressed out. I thought, I don't know if you remember, I thought I was getting like early onset Alzheimer's because I couldn't remember words in the middle of sentences. And you tested my adrenal glands and you were like, oh, here's your problem. Your cortisol levels are through the roof and your serotonin levels are in the toilet. And I was like, I don't even know what these words mean. You put me on some supplements, you did acupuncture, and in like two weeks, I felt like a normal person again. So you're kind of a miracle worker too. So let's take a little bit of a step back. Tell us about yourself and how you came to this calling of being a healer. Well, I've actually known since I was a very young child that I wanted to be in medicine. And I started massage school when I was 17 worked my way through massage school, um, pre-med and chiropractic school, doing massage. Once I became a chiropractor, I started practicing that and worked my way through naturopathic and acupuncture school, doing chiropractic. And so by the time I was 30, I had three medical degrees and a bachelor's in human anatomy. And I was so burned out that I didn't even want to be a doctor anymore. So I totally understand how activists can get burned out, even though you're doing what you love. And, you know, all along, I had been working in the music business. When I was 19, I started working on rock stars when they would come into the venues. I would do massage. And so after I graduated from all my school, um, I took a sabbatical and went to Europe to just kind of chill out and find myself. And about eight months into it, a lot of the rock and roll people started to find me and said, hey, how would you like to get paid to travel? And so that turned into kind of several years of touring and working with rock stars as their doctor on tour. And then when I decided I should grow up a little bit, I decided to settle down in San Francisco. (laughs) And that was my first stable practice with all my things. And then just recently moved to New York about 10 years ago to start a new practice here. But to be honest, um, healing is the only kind of work that I've ever done. And You know, I travel around the world and study with indigenous healers all around the world. So I'm constantly trying to learn from people of other cultures and deepen my practice that way. So for me, it's not what I do, it's who I am. And I think that probably a lot of activists feel the same way. 
about what they do. <laughs> yeah, let's transition. And also, we have to have you back to talk about uh, on the road stories, because I'm sure you have a lot of good stories. <laughs> but, yeah. but I know one of your specialties is working with folks who are givers, folks who are in the nonprofit field, folks who are activists. So tell us a little bit about both the great thing about activists and the ways in which activists really burn themselves out physically, emotionally, spiritually in the work. Oh, of course. Well, first of all, I want to thank all of you activists and nonprofit workers out there because I think that the world couldn't survive and be a just place without you. And so you have to first give yourself all that credit for that. And, you know, really, I look at an activist and people in nonprofits as people that are creative artists as well as healers. And whereas they're not doing the healing so much one-on-one with people, like people like me, they're more looking at how can we heal the system? How can we heal with groups of people? And so one of the first things that I think is important is for you to really reframe how you see yourself, that you are actually fighting for something that is really necessary and even though it seems like an uphill battle that what you're doing is really making a difference so just kind of reframing that but it's very very important if you're going to keep doing this kind of work long term that you've got to take care of yourself and your family and your relationships and keep a balanced life because otherwise you're going to get really, really burned out. So there's many things we can talk about. We know that activists are really, really good at taking care of other people and notoriously bad at taking care of themselves. And so and we've covered all the, the usual stuff, like you make sure you're sleeping and eating regular basis and eating healthy and working out and so forth. But I'm wondering if you could take it sort of one step further and talk about like what are some of the common issues that you see with folks who are in activist roles um, with respect to their physical health? I would say that, first of all, they are dealing in a constant state of adrenal fight or flight. Tell us more about the adrenal glands, because I I learned about this when I first started seeing you. I had no idea what they were. So basically, the adrenal glands sit on top of your kidney, ad renal, above the renal, And they are the endocrine glands that regulate your stress hormones, your sex hormones, your blood sugar hormones, your inflammation, and your immunity. And there's actually different stages of how the adrenals work. But when you're in a situation where there's danger or inflammation or toxins or if you feel you're in a situation that you can't get out of or that you have no control over, all of those trigger a type of stress that triggers our body and our adrenal glands to go into alarm mode and say, I'm not safe. And so what happens is the adrenal glands mobilize the army, and that army is cortisol and adrenaline, and that kicks in to help us deal with stress. So when you're in that initial stage of stress, we activate something called your sympathetic nervous system. And that turns on your brain and your arms and your legs so that you can go fight the saber-toothed tiger, okay? And that helps us to be able to function 
and deal with these acute stressors in a very efficient way. And then what happens if everything's working properly, the body has a recharge mode. So that first stage, the sympathetic mode, we call that fight or flight. Have you ever heard of that before? Well, after the danger's gone, then what happens is our nervous system and our adrenals kick in the parasympathetic response, which is our rest and regenerate, or sometimes called rest and digest response. And then there's hormones like serotonin and GABA and things that help calm us down so that we can relax, restore, and regenerate. And so if everything's working properly, there's a constant dance between fight or flight, rest and regenerate. But what happens when people feel the perception of constant stress that's never letting up is that the alarm mode stays in fight or flight. And the longer you're in fight or flight, you move into a stage where the adrenals start to get depleted. So that long-term secretion of, of a cortisol and adrenaline, eventually it's like the gas tank and the batteries start to get three-quarter tank full. And then they become a half tank full until there's no battery juice left in the tank, no gas left in the tank. And at that point, we're completely burned out. So those are the, you know, there's the different stages where it starts with that acute stage. But if the stressor continues and you're not able to relax, restore, and regenerate, then eventually you get completely depleted. And when you get into that level of adrenal burnout or adrenal fatigue, you're depleted in things like adrenaline, cortisol, serotonin, dopamine. And people will experience fatigue, apathy, a loss of interest, insomnia, They'll lose their interest in sex or sexual function will be low. Their immunity will start to weaken. And we start to see all other problems related to other aspects of the health. So, you know, one of the most important things is to just identify that there's an acute stress, but have strategies to kick in that rest and rejuvenate every day so that you are not just staying in that constant state of fight or flight so that you are able to regenerate and then be effective the next day and not get burned out. When you do get burned out, that's kind of where we were working, you know, where you actually need to do testing and then specifically regenerate how people are depleted, you know, testing for that. So, so many interesting things here, because I think, you know, we talk a lot about mental health, but we actually don't really ever talk about the physical responses or the physical effect of stress on the body. So I think that's one interesting thing. The second question I had for you, though, is, you know, as you're talking, it literally sounds like every executive director I've ever known. Um, (laughs) And I'm just wondering, like, what do you do? Once you've identified that you may be experiencing adrenal fatigue, I know you mentioned testing, but like what, what other strategies can people employ to, to, you know, recuperate? So when you're part? completely fatigued, then you need a, a nine month sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that but the truth? If you truth. don't have a nine month sabbatical, 
it is really great if you can find um, a local naturopathic doctor or acupuncturist or even a functional medicine practitioner that can do complete comprehensive blood workup, which also tests your thyroid gland, your adrenals, your hormones, all of your nutrient levels. And then there's specific adrenal testing because it's really best Everybody, when they burn out, has different ways that it's manifesting and different levels of where it's affected them physically and hormonally. So it's really best to be guided through this by a practitioner who really can do a personalized account. But besides the actual nutritional rebalancing that comes from diet changes and specific supplements... You do need to have extra sleep during this time. Um, We look at 10 to 12 hours as regenerative sleep. Also, when people are in complete burnout, heavy exercise can deplete them more. So doing exercise that's a little bit more moderate and light aerobic and more yoga and things like that is very good. Very, very important to be eating whole food diet that's very rich in protein and fat because protein and fat are the building blocks of our body. Carbs give us energy, but protein and fat are the building blocks. I think that nature is extremely restorative for people. So getting out in nature is very important. And I think it's important to have You know, if you can't take time off to really have a rejuvenating sabbatical, I think it's important to give yourself one or two hours a day where you're not connected online, where you're not checking texts, where you're not hearing about bad news in the world, where you're taking a bath and doing something special for yourself to kind of really recharge because that kind of time gives you the ability to kind of reframe. And I think it's also extremely, extremely important for activists to stay close to the community and the people and the relationships that are very important to them. Like you need people to be there for you too. And they don't need to be there to solve your problems. They just need to be there to listen to you when you're having a hard day and to just feel like you're not holding all of that inside, you know? And think about like, you know how like in California, they haven't had the big earthquake because the earth keeps having these small earthquakes. Well, our body and our nervous system is pretty much the same way. So we need to have ways every day that we release stress, whether it's an exercise or connecting in nature or being around people we love or taking a bath or sleeping well, but we need to have ways to kind of release the pent up anger and resentment and anxieties and frustrations that you would have specifically being activists. Because if you don't release that, The body's going to release it in the form of anxiety, panic attacks, migraines, insomnia, 
So that body, that, those are the big earthquake. Do you understand? Got it. Yeah. And so what are the, what's the role of um, different modalities? Like I know you practice uh, acupuncture and, you know, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about the different ways that people can also, you know, rebalance themselves above and beyond uh, some of these very practical tips you've offered. Sure. Um, well, first of all, any kind of body work, whether it's massage or chiropractic, those are really great for helping the muscle tension and stress. But really, a lot of people, um, their body is a shock absorber for all of that kind of stress. So body work, chiropractic, massage, cranial sacral therapy, as well as this is where yoga and exercise can come into. They just really help to release a lot of that pent-up stress that our body has become the shock absorber for. Acupuncture is really great because it helps instantly take you out of fight or flight and help you go into rest and regeneration mode. What has your experience been with the acupuncture? Oh, gosh, I love the acupuncture. I mean, I think the last time I saw you, I I fell asleep on the table for a couple of hours. (laughs) It's great. I mean, because the acupuncture is really great, especially when people feel no matter what they're doing on their own, they can't shift out of that mode. You can literally take somebody out of fight or flight instantly in acupuncture. And during acupuncture, you go into a very deep trance, that um, the alpha state, and that helps us to kind of reset the entire nervous system. So when you're in acupuncture, you're not really sleeping. You're in a deep trance, and that's very that's even more healing than regular sleep. Well, whatever it was, it was fantastic. But can I change tax a little bit now? Because right now, everyone in the world is freaking out about coronavirus, and particularly for the folks in the nonprofit sector, you know, we're worried about not just the normal things of keeping ourselves and our families safe and healthy, but also, you know, concern for the people that we serve, concern about our funding, concern about, you know, can we keep our doors open? So I'm just wondering if you could shed a little light on the coronavirus as like a a global phenomenon and whether or not, and, and, you know, ways in which people can try to keep themselves and their families healthy. Well, Whenever we feel, like I said, trapped in a situation we can't get out of and see only the negative in things, it causes our body to secrete a lot of cortisol and stress hormones, and that actually suppresses our immune system. So the first thing I would always encourage people who are out there in the workforce to do is to remind yourself every hour of every day that you are making a difference and that, that, that you are helping people. And to stay productive and active in helping people helps you to focus that energy into something positive. I find it very interesting and just as a general perspective is it's going to be one of the first times in the world that everybody's been in something that's forced the world to be together on something and to work together globally instead of just individually. And so hopefully the governments will work that way. It is a time of renewal for our environment. And it is a time of renewal for ourselves and our communities because we have gotten so focused on everything in the outside 
that we've forgotten what's deep inside of ourselves and our own families and our own personal relationships and our own communities. So one thing is helpful to just change the perspective and see what are the positive things that can come out of this and just start there because that reframe can actually, actually help your immune system. So first of all, um, I always like to look at the, the, our main line of defense in our body is the mucous membranes that line the inside passages of our body. And those are in our respiratory tract. Um, and they're in our lungs and our gut. That's called the gut or mucosal associated lymphatic tissue. So the mucous membranes in your sinuses, lungs, respiratory gut. And one of the most important things, there's different products that help to regenerate that. Um, you've used the one called GI Revive. But in general, those products have something called glutamine. And glutamine comes from white rice. So white rice is helpful for building that. Um, that lining also has a mucosal layer, and we can build that layer with foods like okra and aloe and chia seeds and flax seeds. So and like slimy-ish. Slimy uh, mucosal things. Yes, excellent. things. Yes, exactly. Um, and then there's an antibody layer on that lining. That antibody layer we can get from whey protein, and we can also get it from sheep and goat dairy because sheep and goat dairy is almost identical to human milk, and that's where we get that antibody, which is our basically our army against invaders. And then the very top of that lining is probiotics. And we can get the probiotics from fermented foods and also from yogurt. So, oh, and there's one other food that helps to build up the um, mucosal lining, and that those are broths and bouillons and soups that have those kind of, kind of deep broth base. So there's a lot of foods that we can be doing. There are products out there that help, but I always tell people you can make an immune smoothie and you can put um, whey protein, or if you can't afford that, you can do goat or sheep yogurt. You can add some glutamine powder. Um, you can put a green food in there combination, or you can also add different green foods you have like spinach, collard, kale. And then I highly recommend a probiotic to put in there or some yogurt. And you can also add in some omega-3s either in the form of fish, flax, or Arctic cod liver oil. So what is, what is the role of inflammation in um you know, immunity, because I, I know that you and I have talked a lot about, you know, various things that we can do to reduce inflammation. I'm just wondering if you could uh, shed some light on that for folks listening, and particularly as it pertains to, you know, the standard Western diet. And Well, um, there's two main things that cause inflammation. First, down, first, there's a breakdown in the border wall that we just talked about. And so what happens is, that border wall normally lets in the good stuff and keeps out the bad stuff. So it lets in all your nutrients and it keeps undigested food, toxins, allergens, and infections out. 
When that's broken down, there's all kinds of things getting into the body that normally don't get in there. Undigested foods, toxic foods, allergens from the environment, toxins from the environment, and infections. And when that stuff makes its way into the bloodstream, the army or the antibodies see that as a foreign invader that they have to get rid of. And that triggers the inflammation cascade. And that triggers um, histamine and cortisol and adrenaline. So when, when there's a triggered inflammation, there's also a trigger of the adrenals. So when people are inflamed, they're also feeling often more anxious and irritable and stressed as well. I'm sure you've um, noticed that. Like but everyone in New York? In the diet that really aggravate inflammation, um, I would say sugar. White sugar is a big culprit. Refined wheat products and gluten products in general can be quite inflammatory, especially United States kind of wheat because the wheat in our um, country has been processed to be much higher in gluten, which is very inflammatory. Cow's milk itself, the cheese and yogurt, not so much, but the milk itself is considered fairly inflammatory because we don't have the enzyme to break it down. Um, and then all the, you know, kind of food additives, genetically modified food, our body doesn't recognize as food. So that creates inflammation. Yeah. So there's, you know, all those toxic things and also, you know, putting products on your body that are not organic can also add to inflammation as well. Yeah. Good point. Could you talk briefly about the role of the gut in overall health and um, immunity and, and just sort of making sure that you're healthy? Because I know when I first came to you, you put me on a, a diet and um, supplements that I was eating on a regular basis. I think we, you put me on a smoothie right away. And so, you know, we've been hearing a lot about gut health being the key to everything. Yeah, exactly. That's what we talked about with that border wall. So that mucus lining is the lining that lets your nutrients in and keeps the toxins out. And so the gut health, you know, you want to have those gut repair products like the glutamine, or you can get it in the rice. You can also get it in the mucilaginous type foods and herbs, the slimy things like the chia, flax, um, the okra and the antibodies and the probiotics. So that lining lets all your good nutrients in and it keeps your toxic food allergens and microbes out. So it keeps everything balanced. It's, it's basically the border wall that lets in the good guys and keeps out the bad guys. When that gets out of balance, that's the foundation. The way I look at the gut is it's the foundation. You know, when the, when the World Trade Center came down or any building comes down, they didn't just go erect a new building on the site. First, they had to clean out the area. Then they had to build a new foundation. And once the foundation's intact, then everything they do to build works so much better. And so the way I see health is I always start by detoxing people, cleaning their diet out, putting them on a shake that repairs the gut and cleans out the liver and do that for a month to 
make sure their body can absorb nutrients and eliminate toxins. And then in the second phase, I start the rebuilding and the repair. Because if you give people all kinds of vitamins and minerals and supplements, but they're not even absorbing the nutrients in their food, it's kind of a waste of their money and time. So I like to have people clean out, repair the foundation, which is the liver and the gut. And from there, you start your rebuilding type plans. Heard people who think that if they take probiotics, everything is totally fine. But to your point, if the foundation is shaky, then you know, you're know you not really doing much of anything. Is that right? Yeah, the probiotics can go in one end and out the other if the, if the border wall is not intact. So it is good to make sure that you have that gut repair stuff. And if you don't have um, finances for the gut repair type formulas, white rice and um, all those things that we talked about earlier are very helpful for repairing as well as bone broth. So last question for you, because um, you know. You and I, again, have talked about this a lot over the years, but it seems that um, you have uh, thoughts about empaths and healers being particularly sensitive. So I was wondering, since a lot of the folks listening are obviously a nonprofit and what you would consider to be empaths, can you tell a little bit about like what is an empath and like why they are particularly sensitive to their environment? Oh, that's a great question, Rhea. Thank you so much for asking that. And I think it's very, very important for all of you people out there. Um, You're all empaths, I'm sure. Empaths, basically, their connection with people is an immersive connection where they, they actually feel other people's pain and they take it on in a way that it's almost personal to them. And the good part of an empath is that they are the healers in the world because when somebody connects to somebody empathically and that person feels felt, they feel so cared for and they're able to kind of make changes in themselves. But empaths really have a danger of taking on a lot of energies that aren't really their own. And often they get confused about what is their own feeling, what is their own illness, and what is somebody else's. Um, I'm an empath, of course, and it's my greatest gift and my biggest challenge. And I have over the years learned that if I don't do specific things to take care of myself, I will be gifted a gift from the universe where I get very sick and that forces me to do it. So the most recent gift from the universe that helped me regain my my self-control was uh, Lyme disease, you know, and I just am coming out of that. But that brought me to my knees and forced me to get back to doing things to take care of myself. So, you know, some of those include just the personal self-care of eating properly and taking vitamins and doing all that. Another thing that I do is every day after I get home from work and I've been absorbing people's illnesses and problems and, you know, all that all day, I come home and I either take a bath in Epsom salts or I take a shower and I use some kind of shower gel that has essential oils in it. 
And I really visually watch the stressors and the toxins all leaving my body. I use aromatherapy around my house and candles to kind of clear energies. And I have some Native American sage um, sticks. They're called smudge sticks. They also help to clear energy. For people who live near the ocean, you know, salt water, really the ocean water is one of the best ways for clearing and removing toxic energies like that. But just being anywhere in nature can do that because the nature, there's an exchange from the plants. They take in our carbon dioxide. They give us oxygen. And in that exchange, there's kind of a shift in energy as well. I do think it's very, very important for empaths to have people that they lean on as well. We're not in this world to be alone. We are here to help each other. And you can't just be out there helping other people and not being open to letting people help you too. It's a karmic balance of give and take. And we have to always, you know, we know how good it feels to help other people. We'll give somebody else that benefit of feeling good for helping you too. Because we need to be also connected to our loved ones. Because if you get so disconnected that you're ruining your relationships for your work, then I just don't see the benefit in that for anybody in the world. You have to be an example of what you're teaching other people to do, you know? Yeah. That's a beautiful note to end on. Dr. G, I'm going to make sure that all of your information is in the show notes for people who want to come and see you once they're able to leave their house. But thank you so much for everything you do and for this really great uh, interview. We've, we've learned so much about how to take care of ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. And thank you, all you beautiful people, for all that you're doing in the world. And keep up the great work. Stay yes. positive. <laughs> we'll try. Thanks so much. 